right. I've got to edit it down anyway. Um, it's a good s- intro. So <laughs> it might be. Yeah, it might be. Uh, the amount of cutting that I have to do for this podcast. You're welcome. I'm sorry. I was going to say, we keep him employed, but we don't pay him. <laughs> we don't pay so. him. Yeah. That's, that's indentured servitude, I think. That's true. There's no contract here. Welcome to the podcast where your hosts sample a different scotch each season while we dive into current social, political, and economic issues each episode. This is Scotch and Socialism. Hey y'all, welcome to Scotch and Socialism. This is season number two. Uh, I am your host, Jacob. Oh my gosh. I'm your host, Jacob, and I am your resident household budgeter for tonight. I'm Griff, your co-host and your resident freewheeling big spender for the night, apparently. And I'm Russ, and I apparently completely get left out of this as far as being a host. (laughs) That's okay, though. I don't normally want to be here. Oh, my gosh. You're not. I, I'm, I'm the resident captive hostage. The rest, this is your house. <laughs> so tonight we're talking about general national finances, debt ceilings, deficit spending, yeah. and other big words that I'm sure I don't want to deal with later on in life. I think you hit most of the tonight's buzzwords. but I, Yes. All right. I mean, the, Someone keyword that on Google. The core, yeah, the core of this is less about macroeconomic trends because let's be honest none of us know a ton about macroeconomics i can balance a checkbook that's true russ <laughs> also runs a small business which brings its own budgetary nightmare uh, nuances let's say new let's say nuances because sure. this is a very nuanced topic to the table and so a lot of times and this is kind of thing i think we're trying to dispel is that you can just assume that what works with your household budget works for the federal budget works for your business's budget and how that can be misconstrued on both sides of the aisle. Cause both political sides are guilty of kind of bending these narratives to fit what they want to. Well, that's the thing running a, a business budget. Cause I yeah. have some experience there. Um, the, <laughs> there are similarities to the household budget. Obviously you've got income expenses, all that good stuff. Right. And then when you take that even a step further into like the national budgeting where you have basically two groups of people who are constantly trying to make the other group look bad, Mm. I mean, ledger items really aren't descriptive. You know, I have an expense for household goods that are things that the business needs that I happen to have here at the house. It's a questionable line item at best. And if you've got someone else looking at your books going, what is that? Why is that there? I could see that causing all kinds of turmoil. Right. Well, and it gets even more charged when you know we scale this up to a federal level when we start talking about line items that will impact people's livelihood sure or their ability to care for themselves and then it becomes and then it becomes very much political levers we've We've, got entire offices of administration yeah you have to worry about yeah exactly and you know everybody needs budget everybody i mean and then that we don't need to gloss over this i mean money does make stuff move yeah you know, if you think of an economy as a human circulatory system, money is like blood in that it has to be moving or you're in trouble. Yeah. 
Yeah, makes sense. I mean, it's it's always been a weirdly touchy subject. I still find it touchy, especially like considering my own personal budgeting. And I know like there's some stuff that I need to shore up in my personal budgets. But I'm also just like, ah, uh, I don't want to let other people see that because then they'll judge me. <laughs> so what about it? Actually, let me back this up. What about it is a touchy subject? Is it your personal finances or is it like just economics? My, and I think my personal finances, but we're also, I think some of that lends itself into the way we view, you know, the more bigger things like the, potentially the national budgets and things sure. like that. We care about how our money is spent. Um you know, there's the we care about what other think about how our money is spent. Also, that yeah, and yeah. there's I, the I don't care how my money is spent most of the time. <laughs> I guess we we care, or we tend to care more when others are spending it on our behalf. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'll give you that. So yeah. yeah, and that's that's where the national budget thing comes in, and it's, well, it's our money, right? I mean, that's kind of the problem. We we pay right. into it, and they dole it out how they see fit, which. Hopefully we have some level of representation there, which. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, it's, we could bring up the classic scripture trope of like where your treasure has your heart will be also. I think that kind of does lend itself here. Like money is important and it's okay to acknowledge that. But anyways, yeah, it's, I, I think we get into these big heated debates and I'm putting that in air quotes really because it's often not a real debate. Um, about you know where money gets spent, especially as part of government grants or things like that. There's been so many times that I heard somebody ranting about how they, you know, the government spent billions supposedly on the migratory pattern of grasshoppers, something like that. Well, an ecological study, I'm assuming, is what that was. Sure, um, it has its merits. It, it you know, oh, absolutely, and it, and it has to meet criteria. And the yeah. whole point of it is somewhere, hopefully. Someone is doing checks and balances against this to right. say this is useful because X Y Z. It's going to cost this much money, and the offset. You know, this is what we could get out of it if if it goes well, right. or at least this is the knowledge that we're going to get regardless. Yeah. And I feel like that has to be a thing somewhere. Here's like, the other aspect of that, and I don't know how much this gets talked about, is that when we talk about government spending on projects, and we can use military because military is a gigantic portion of our budget, $720 billion. Military is amazing $720 billion, with a B, dollars. Is that when you have sections that large, it kind of stops being just about the project in particular. You know, because when the government funnels money into these various, you know, buckets, basically let's just call them buckets, they're giving, they're putting money into the economy because, okay, let's use the F-35 Lightning project. It's a jet made by Lockheed Martin. It's supposed to be cutting edge. It's been in development for like 12 years. The total cost of this project is over a trillion dollars. Okay. And at that point, is it about finishing this project or is it about a more covert economic stimulus? Because all of that money goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes to engineers and manufacturers and testing and this, that, and the other. And so, yes, the government is ostensibly getting a, you know, superior air fighter. On the other hand, they're also getting a large number of people who now can be economic participants, which is a really kind of cold way to look at it. But there's a lot of jobs happening there. Right. And at that point, is spending all that money really so bad if it's helping keep people employed and if it's keeping segments of the economy open. Yeah. And it's, you know, 
we talk about some like failed military projects or whatever we've spent billions or trillions on it's you know it's not like all of that has gone to waste necessarily now do i personally think we could rebalance the budget a little bit with regards to military yeah yes but yeah it's you know we're and specifically tonight we're talking less about you know the actual budget and more about the way we talk about yeah economics and things like that because it's an incredibly opaque issue and when issues become opaque or complicated we have a tendency i have a tendency to really try and boil it down to quote-unquote simple black and white things which unfortunately this doesn't fit in that no no the the national economy which is a large part of the global economy is horridly complex you know, there are people who have studied it their entire lives and are still oh yeah, inaccurate in their findings. Well, just the fact that there's multiple schools of modern economic thought tells yeah. you pretty much everything you need to know. I mean, even to, to nutshell it there, you mean you've got Keynesian economics, you've got Austrian school, you've got Chicago schools, all these different philosophies of how the economy and by extension government spending should work. You know, it's not like, necessarily like physics or biology where it's like, well, we can prove that this is how, you know, gravity works. There's nothing consistent here. Exactly. There's, there is, and that's where, and that's where it gets into opening itself with the economy where where talks of economy get into opening themselves to political and other kind of, you know, spin. Basically you can, you can spin numbers eight ways to Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing is that I feel like, it's because it's such a uh, public face right. of, of an economy. Um, it can be skewed no matter which way you want to push it. Oh yeah. You know, there's not a singular entity that actually has control, at least not that I'm aware of, of all the numbers at all times. Well, it's obviously the president, isn't it? No. Because it's always the president's fault. Uh, damn it. Biden raising my gas prices. I was going to make that point. <laughs> I was on a social media channel the other day and somebody had posted this picture of a gas pump and then like one of those bumper stickers of Biden where it's like, I did that pointing at this gas price, like $4 a gallon. <laughs> it's like, okay, that might've gotten you likes. That's not that, that is so uninformed as to be painful. Sure. You know, it's not like there's a dial in the oval office that has gas prices written on it. And, you know, some presidents turn it up and some turn it down. It's like it's I think people would like to think that's how easily it works because then it's easier to blame one person on it. Well, it's consumable at that point. Too. Exactly. It, yeah, exactly. But that's it's a thousand times more complicated than that. Right. Well, it's yeah. supply chain. It's logistics. It's the actual companies doing refineries. It's the guy, you know, the, the group on the East Coast that got unfortunately ransomware. Um, that caused all kinds of problems. Um, there, there's a there's a list of things that go into the end pricing yeah. that you pay And that's pump. just one that's commodity. One yeah. That's one commodity. Yes. Yeah. That the world goes to war over oh, yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Uh, well, and we, it's, this is one of those things like we had warnings of for a year. COVID is un- unprecedented within our time. And it is probably the biggest global eco- effect on the economy since Oh, eight. Since Probably. maybe, and I, 
I think it'd be even greater than that. I don't know. But we're we're still dealing with like the long-term Oh, yeah. Impacts. We're going to be dealing with it for a while. Right. And so it's, you know, but we also saw gra- gas prices plummet during the beginning yeah. of COVID where to the point of- It was negative. Yeah. Oil it, was oil, negative $40 a barrel. Right. It was more expensive to hold on to it. Yeah. Uh, which is a weird concept in and of itself, but. Well, when you shut down most public transit, you shut down most, well, the whole stay-at-home order, right? Right. Generally speaking, if you're going to go somewhere, take a walk, but don't go anywhere, you know? Yeah. Don't get in your car because that requires so much more of the infrastructure to be available, right? If you go out in your car and you get in a fender bender, you've got to deal with police. You may have to deal with EMS. You may have to deal with other bystanders trying to help. Like there's an entire like economics that happens when you take your car out, whether you like it or not. Yeah. Um, And that's, I think why they did, you know, kind of enforce the, Hey, stay home. Just don't do anything. Don't go driving. Take a walk, you know, do something where you're not going to involve the infrastructure services. Yeah. Right. Which I feel like didn't even get hit all that much, but just the, the sheer, the sheer amount of folks who were not going into work, cut infrastructure. Oh, absolutely. Um, but well, it's and like so I can we, see why the price right, dropped, right? Right, exactly. Well, no, but we've, no demand. Demand. we've been talking about this for years, and then we knew that production went down for oil, and now it's more scarce, so prices go up. It's, um, But again, it's it always seems to be boiled down to in the public eye of ex-political party or president did why? Well, if you look at the graphs, <laughs> you can see that each time a Democrat or a Republican takes over, the price moves in a different direction. That's, I, don't, I don't know which way. That's that's so vague a but, statement but as that, to be isn't that beautiful useless. Though? Right. But it's a headline. Yeah. That's what's frightening is that you could have said that on like CNBC and half the viewership would have went, oh, oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I know, right? It's, it's beautiful in its own way. Well, like it's it terrifying. I know. And that's, and that's, part of the root of this problem and me being a rhetoric nerd, I nerd out at this stuff is the way that we talk about these things will inform public perception and therefore public decision-making on how they're going to play out. So when we see headlines, Oh, Biden infrastructure package, three and a half trillion dollars. And people see 3.5 T, you know, they think, okay, can we afford that? It's like, you don't, there's so much more that goes into that number other than how much is in the U.S.'s checking account that we don't see that we are not going to see unless you do a line-by-line review of the congressional budget, but still gets tossed around. Like I was, I don't even remember what article was that I was reading. I said a lot of those deficit and those debt numbers are gross, not as in you, but like they're just, there's, it's just one number. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take into account the money saved or the money garnered through revenue. It's just, oh, the whole thing start to finish with no additional thought put into figuring up this number is three and a half trillion. Never mind the fact that that's over 10 years. Yep. So you're talking right. about 350 billion a year, which is half of what we spend on defense. Never mind any of that. Also, never mind the fact that that is not a net figure. And if it was a net figure, it would be more like, Two trillion, you know, yep. the Trump well, tax cuts in gross cost five trillion dollars. We didn't right. see that tossed around. No, well, and that's the interesting thing too. Um, I've I've watched several 
awesome YouTube videos right. about mathematicians and how the human brain really cannot comprehend numbers or much at all above like a hundred thousand. <laughs> right. Like we, we just lose it. It becomes abstract, right? Right. Like we don't have a good idea of what a trillion actually is. We have no idea. Right. Um, even a billion is questionable. A million, we can kind of wrap our concept around that, but it's still pretty ubiquitous. Like it's just out there. Right. Is and, it because we can't materialize? Like we can't think of a million of one thing. Well, we've, you know, there's those classic tropes, and I forget how much it, money it ends up being, but it's, you know, like stack a bunch of dollar bills on top of each yes. other and it goes up to the moon or whatever. That's mm -hmm. still like an unimaginable distance it for is. a human already. And so it's, you know, it we're, we're talking orders of magnitude that to the human brain are already approaching infinity anyway. Well, they're absurd. And that's yeah, our brain, our brain looks at it as absurd. It's like, okay, there, there's a threshold we cross at some point where it's like, that's a lot. Okay, <laughs> great. But that, that's as far as we get, right? But a lot is relative. Exactly. And absolutely it is. It is, yeah. And that's, I think, why there's a breakdown, right? Because I can say 350 billion, with a B, a year, or I can say 3.5 trillion. There's no difference. Like, Not if it's yeah, over 10 obviously years. Obviously, there's numbers there. But most people, when they hear those numbers, are like, wow, that's insane. Well, it's above a million. That's all I know. The other thing, I think, I don't think this is, I don't think that pundits are quite this nefarious, I hope. But I don't think the people, the spin doctors who come up with these types of clickbait headlines, um, I think they're banking on Americans' reluctance to do anything related to math. Oh, sure. You know, you, and how many times of how many times we hear in this conversation, oh, I'm, I don't make me do math. Don't make me do. How many times do we get that that couching language in anything? It's like, oh, for those mathematicians at home, it's like we have this pathological avoidance phobia of math across the country when this is not even hard math to do. No, but it, it's not hard math, but it's like compounding interest, right? It's not even that complicated. Well, well I'm sorry. It, it's an example <laughs> though, right? It's something that most people have, they've heard of it. They, they think they know what it is. Right. And most people have no clue and they couldn't explain it to save their lives. It's interesting because it's it's not horribly complex. I mean, it's complex. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's not horribly complex. Right. Um, I also feel like a lot of the stuff, you know, as we said earlier, you know, statistics can be construed however they feel fit, which is unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and I, I love going back to that. You know, it's a two hundred percent increase. We went from one to two. Was well, that that much? Well, if I if I go from one steak to two steaks, I'm, I'm happier. But it's two hundred percent. Insane. Or if you go from one grain of rice to four grains of rice. Oh my goodness! That's a four hundred percent increase. Holy crap! There was a four hundred percent increase in the amount of starch production in this household. That's a headline. It's terrible. You could, yeah. That's I'm, the other reason. Looking at bar graphs, I love looking at bar graphs. Hundred percent at the top, of course, because that's where you end, and ninety-seven percent is the bottom. I took a, right. uh, and it is just staggered. Like these are pillars going from the bottom to the top. Between three percent, I took a class on ethical design, and that was one of the topic talking points that we had. Was that like don't do that? Three dimensional pie graphs are are non are unethically designed, and graphs that don't take into account the context of zero zero. Yep. Like if it goes zero, one million, one point five million, that's the scale usually problematic yeah, because right. it's going to look horribly skewed. Yep. Yeah, and then in order to fix that, a lot of people just get rid of zero. They just start at the 1.5. Well, we can just take a couple of zeros off, and it's like a household budget, yeah. right? No. And that's the part that drives me insane. I see yeah. a lot of this stuff, especially in corporate America. Um, any graph that I've ever seen for, like, customer satisfaction, 
has always been that 90 to 100% range. And it's like, oh, well, this team, you know, North America East got, you know, they're, they're this right. little bar on the far left. And North America West got the, it's almost all the way to the top. And we're talking like a 1% difference. Like there's nothing, you know, it's, it's to shame people. It's to make the investors look happy. It's, it, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. And that's one of the reasons I don't like to watch the news. Cause every single time that they get those, one of those flashy newscasts with their lovely graphics, which, oh my God, there's some amazing stuff going on in the CG these days. These people have no budget and they have very, very good people doing their, their CG. I love but, it. <laughs> oh, I, I caught part of Newsmax and I was like, oh, I'm sorry. The trash, the absolute trash that comes out of that channel does not deserve how good their logo graphics look. I know, right? <laughs> like it is, it I is love infuriating it. because man, have they managed to polish a turd. It's, it's that, epic. That, that puts turds in a bad light, Jake. Yes, it does. Turds should take offense to that. Yes, they should. <laughs> Wow, but that's just it. Like the, a graph can show anything, yeah. and and I, and because the human mind, I don't think really wraps around some of these larger concept numbers. When you have a graph that basically points from like a half billion to ten trillion, yeah, it's going up. Well, we can, we can you can talk about <laughs> right. that with any of these large dimensional figures as a whole, and you yeah. can. And this is one thing is like I think I don't want to say that some of these outlets prey on people's naivete, but I don't think space doesn't dictate what they put in their headlines. I don't think that that they prey on their people. (laughs) What's that? I'll say that they prey on people's naivete. Okay. Maybe (laughs) Jake's a little more cynical than I am. That's fine. I'm all about the capitalism. Don't worry about me. Well, they do it with, they get conjure up these boogeymen too. One of them that I love is, Oh, China owns, you know, a trillion dollars of our debt. Japan owns more. Japan owns more. That's fine. We like Japan. They make nice cars. Uh, but oh, China could call in. Like China is not going to call in a trillion dollars in U.S. debt. That would be economically catastrophic to pretty much everyone. Everyone, yeah. Like if they did that all at once, it they're not going to. And even when they did call in 150 billion dollars of it, the market didn't even notice. Right. But it gets propped up as this like, oh, China's going to repossess America. Like, no, no, China is not your local credit union that has the, the title to your house. Right. And even all of our foreign debt is incredibly small compared to what we have domestically. That's, that's the interesting part. You're right. You're the, exactly right. But nobody talks about it. Like not even pundits. That doesn't sell papers, man. Right. That's, that's true. Not extra, even extra. We're doing great. <laughs> the left really will discuss that. And it's a hugely important point yet again, that's just not discussed. Like, I just had it pulled up. Um, do, 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 do. Going to cut this part out of the podcast. <laughs> um, so our intergovernmental debt or holdings uh, is about 22% of the total national debt. The rest of it is all publicly held. Right. Which some of that is foreign, but it's very little. Um, let's see. Our Fed Reserve has ten point eight trillion of our total so twenty eight trillion. America holds the majority of America's debt. Yes. That almost makes sense. It does make sense. It's because the the <laughs> Treasury and the Fed are independent bodies that basically exchange debt. 
I mean, that's again, I'm, I apologize. That's a gross oversimplification, but I mean, someone's buying American mm-hmm. T bills, treasury bills. It's not always China and Japan and the United Kingdom, Ireland and Luxembourg of all places. It's the U S government. You know, you, Jake, could go buy treasury bills tonight on the treasury exchange. You're not going to get a great return. No, but But you You technically could. You could go buy a thousand dollar treasury bill. Go buy war bonds. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) You could go buy American debt tonight and get a return on it. Right. In fact, anyone listening should probably do that because it's a really pretty safe investment. You're not going to get a huge percent return, but you're going not to get gonna very go little. Probably consistent. Yeah, it's consistent. consistent. Well, and that's, and that's the thing is American debt. You know, I will qualify this as saying for now is seen as the most stable asset in the world. Bar none. And that's why we're kind of at, and I'm, you guys know how I stand on all these topics. We're kind of at the center of the global economy is because the United States dollar is pegged as basically a medium of exchange for goods around the world, which is a way to insulate us from, you know, other economic problems across right. different nations. Is it time for a scotch break? Sure. I could drink. <laughs> this is your regularly scheduled scotch break. Hey, welcome to your regularly scheduled scotch break. That words are hard tonight. And he's not even drunk, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm not. I did have some, well, not scotch earlier, some Irish whiskey <laughs> for a happy hour thing for Definitely work. not scotch. Definitely not scotch, but peated. R- really? Yeah, peated Irish whiskey. Irish whiskey. Yep, Connemara. Doesn't that make it scottish? Nope. No. Really? <laughs> I just wanted to anger like half of our viewers. The other half don't know what I'm talking about. It's okay. The IRA is probably rolling up right now. <laughs> um, too soon? Nah. Eh. Anyways, so tonight we wanted to talk about our first experiences with scotch. Um, I'll go first because mine was rather embarrassing a little bit. I'm listening. Uh, so I had just turned 21 that year, and my girlfriend of the time got me a bottle of scotch. Now we were in college and so she spent some decent money for this. It was Glenn Levitt 12 years. So it's, and it was good. And so we were at her house with her roommates doing like a sort of Christmas party or something. And uh, I wanted to be like smooth and suave. I was like, Oh yeah, scotch. And so I take a sip and I immediately aspirate it all over the table. (laughs) Like Glenn Levitt 12 is not even that. No, like that's not gasoline. It's not. <laughs> it's not. It's a pretty oh, smooth twelve-year yeah. whiskey. It's not. It's single malt, but it. I don't think it's Isla. No. Oh no. It's it's very smooth and honestly a little sweet. But I, at that point, I hadn't had much experience with harder alcohols either. I'd right. been mostly drinking beer. Right. And so, uh, yeah, me trying to be like, oh, yeah, I can totally drink scotch and just hacking up a lung Baby sips. in front of my girlfriend and all of her friends. Smooth. It was a great time. There's a joke to be made there somewhere. I'm going <laughs> to let that marinate for a while. Yeah. I don't remember my first scotching. Um, that means it was a good time. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't really start partaking at all until grad school. 
And then it was uh, a friend who was really, really into bourbon, big bourbon connoisseur. And I think he had a bottle of scotch. I was like, oh, try this. And it was pretty heavily peated, pretty smoky. And I like it. I like a very smoky scotch because it kind of distinguishes itself yeah. from you know bourbons and whiskeys and rice. Um, oh, my. Right. <laughs> There's a shirt. Um, yeah. I, so that story is probably not as interesting as Jake's is. I didn't do a spit take all over my friends and significant other, but <laughs> there you go. You get a little, uh, get a little of the opposite poles there. So, and then Russ, well, I'm still a virgin. Would you like, <laughs> would you like this to be your first scotching Russ? No, I'm good. Thanks. <laughs> Let me get out of the splash zone. <laughs> No, I've, I've, my, people have asked, right? Like why I don't drink. And the short answer is it's not religious. It's not because I feel it's bad for me. It, it's really, I grew up with it available in the household. Um, there was a liquor cabinet. It was not locked and it didn't, it did contain black velvet, by the way. Dad's favorite. Loves it. It's, do not understand why. I don't drink and I don't understand why. Um, <laughs> that and his Coors Light loves that too. I, I think. I think his taste buds died a very long time ago. Um, but <laughs> it was always available. Right. The, my parents' general take on the whole smoking and alcohol. Rock was, and roll. It's, it's there. Country music. Do it in the house. You can invite your friends over. They don't drink the good stuff, a.k.a. Black Velvet. Oh, God, I'd hate to see the bad stuff. Oh, I know, right? <laughs> oh, we, had, we had unnamed, unnamed whiskey. I don't know what it, what it was. It was like a black label. It was in a milk it, jug. It was terrifying. It just reminds me of episode of Frasier. Yes, I watched Frasier, um, where Niles pulls up a bottle at some trashy venue they're at, and he's like, dear God, this wine is just labeled white. A oh, white. <laughs> Lord, that's even worse. <laughs> I but love yeah. it. So because of that, I, my rebellious years were not spent, you know, trying to sneak a drink or try to, you know, use tobacco or anything like that. It was, you know, it was available. So I was like, right. well, th- that's no fun. Well, why would I do that? And so I immediately turned my attention to what pissed them off the most, which was sitting in front of my computer coding in QBasic for hours on end. God, that's the best reverse psychology pull I've ever heard yeah think about like most teenagers right and i know this is kind of weird and off topic because it's not scotch it's not our political debate about you know debt but (laughs) (laughs) no rules there's a lot of people that i've talked to in regards like you know when you were a teenager what did you do to rebel and it generally revolves around alcohol or tobacco use or being promiscuous or being out late some sort of vice some sort of vice but it really was only because it angered your parents and so when my parents were very cool with, oh, go drink, we don't care. You know, you'd, you'd be 17, we don't care. Be 20, we don't care. You know, it's it's there. It's in, it, Do it in the house. That's all we ask. You know, please don't be stupid. And I'm like, all right. right. And I was just like, well, I don't, I don't have a reason. Like, I don't, I don't care about that, you know. So you take away the motivation, the deviant, quote, unquote, deviant behavior. Well, they find something else. Yeah. Yell at your children for doing their homework. Yell at your children for turning off the TV. Is it? See what happens. I'm that, just curious. That I'm like also <laughs> applying this to. We should have just said no. You can't get a mask, or you can't. Yeah. Oh, uh, get just the reverse. There was an entire entire world that exists there. Yes. Oh man. You know there there is the entire side of it, it that people are well. There's you know again going to weird places that are not part of this conversation. 
there is a group of people that started wearing masks because someone told them that they couldn't. Are you seriously? I like it up. It's fantastic. See, here's the thing that I hate about the internet. Oh no, anything is can be that true. as soon as I hear somebody say something outrageous like that, oh, yeah. the rational, sane part of my brain that exists in like 1987 thinks <laughs> that yeah. that didn't happen. And then you go the research. Real, I don't have to research. I don't have to look far. I know, right? You know, I see some headline that basically echoes exactly what you just said. And there's some pull quote from some yuts. You know, it's just. I need wow. to protect myself from those people who got oh, vaccinated. Man. So I was told that I I couldn't wear a mask, so I'm wearing a mask because it's tell, my right maybe that's to wear what a we mask. Should tell people is that if the if if you're if you're not wearing a mask, people can breed the vaccine on you. Ooh. I bet that would that would totally turn like there there's a there group you go. somewhere. Fauci, <laughs> you're welcome. But I, I love it. Like it's yeah. reverse psychology, unfortunately for humans, is a thing. We as soon as we're told that we can't or that we should do something, our brains for some ungodly reason like to go, uh uh-uh. uh. Yeah. No. I want to do the I want to do the, the exact, exact opposite. opposite. Yeah. I want to derail this as much as possible. Yeah. And I don't understand. I I still do it today. Like the, if if you come into my you know if you, if we're having a nice leisurely chat and you're like Russ, we're not watching YouTube tonight. You know the first thing I want to do, I want to put on YouTube. See here's <laughs> here's where reverse psychology backfires is when your targets aren't idiots. I know right because yes. if your targets are idiots, you can use reverse psychology because their desires are going to flow with the changes. They're they're going to be very dynamic, very mm-hmm. fluid. But if you try to reverse psychology someone who really wants something. They're going to say, turn on the TV. Okay. Boom. And all of a sudden, pfft, oh, yeah. psychology out the window. Well, it's, it's interesting at that point, because at that point you can actually understand what they really want. You know, sure. one, one of the, the most wisest things that was told to me in regards to making a decision in your life. Um, I don't, I don't know who it came from, so I apologize. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But someone, someone out there is amazing and I love them. <laughs> <laughs> but they told me that if I'm ever wavering between two decisions, like, uh, you know, option A or option B. Flipping a coin is not the act of determining. It's the act of knowing. And mm. that's because when you flip that coin, you know which side you want to show up. And that broke me because I absolutely agree with that. Anytime I ever had a 50-50 choice in something, and I, I said I didn't care. And so I said, oh, flip a coin. It's fine. The second I flipped that coin, I knew what I wanted. I knew which side I wanted to see. I just couldn't do it until I flipped the coin. We getting into quantum superposition here? We kind of are, but back to... What the hell? How does that have any... Nope, nope, that's next episode. (laughs) God, I hope not. (laughs) Turns out Schrodinger was actually just really indecisive. Fair enough. You didn't like cats. Probably drunk. Very drunk. Most of the people are drunk. Most of the people are drunk. Well, or otherwise inebriated. I was going to say, they, they opiates or otherwise. Yeah. Most of them have That's something unfortunate. going on. I know, right? Can you Speaking imagine? of reasons why I want to drink economics. There you go. <laughs> hey, segue. Jake, go ahead. You let us in. What do you want to talk about? Um, So there's a lot of... I'll use the term bigotry, I guess, around you know when it comes to economics. So where, where do we go from? From here, as in far as how we talk about economics and how we try and you know figure out what the cor- more correct path is forward, 
there's a lot of discussion to be around like the whole, well, we're not as individuals able to really decide a whole lot. What does my vote even count? Yada, yada, yada. Well, and even to a level of understanding, right? I mean, I don't, I would not expect a average American to fully understand the debt that we have. I would hope. Yeah. It's, I don't expect most people who have studied it for a number of years to really get it. Absolutely. It's it's an incredibly complex topic, and so so I say know, let's let's take that, that and say it exists, and be happy about it. But mm. f- focus on yourself. If you don't understand general finances, go learn general finances. Learn your own household finances. It's a step in the right direction. You know, it, it, this huge ubiquitous thing that is the national debt, that is national spending, is not going to become clear to you if you can't run your own household. Even if you can run your own household, oh, I'm not saying it's no guarantee equivalent. that you're going to understand. But it's a step debt. forward. True, I'll I'll give you that. Um, I mean, aside from hey, go learn. Honestly, right. I mean, this is this is something that it affects our day to day lives. Yeah. No matter what. Now, in different ways that a lot of people really, I think, make it out to be because it's a lot of stuff again of you know, one person or even one political party, one session of Congress is not going to raise the gas prices or whatever. Um, you which mean I know no is dial not, in the Oval Office? Right. Which I know is somewhat divorced from this idea of the, the national debt, but we're also talking about uh, economics and in general. And so... But it's potentially part of it too. Right. You know, And that's the complexity of it all. It is, there is no simple, you know, do this, then that kind of scenario here. Right. Right. So what do we do about it? I, I say learn finances. Start learning for your own personal reasons. Sure. Okay. But, you know. Read taking, beyond the headlines. Read beyond the headlines. Yeah. Don't take things at face value. Research appropriately. Find That's neutral. Fair. But, I mean, we're There's, not. It's <laughs> for every problem For everything. Like, this is not just a debt thing. This is, you know, take the time to understand when you read a headline that's sensationalized, especially, you know, and, and it does strike you as, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. Or, well, oh, my gosh, what's happening? We talked about irresponsible media headlines in previous episodes around oh, Corona. Absolutely. And, you know, I was scrolling, scrolling through today as doom scrolling today. And there was a, I'm not, I'm not pointing this out because of the source sort of, there was a Fox news headline that said vaccinated couple dies from Corona minutes apart. And it's like, all you've done is raise the blood pressure of the hand ringers who are going to see that and associate vaccines and dying from Corona. Absolutely. And you go, and you go straight for the emotional appeal. And it's like, and, and you read the article, and it, it's probably something where, yes, they might They were have had older, corona. and they had pre-existing conditions. Exactly. And one of them passed away because of a heart attack, and the other one died of a broken heart. You know, But they, that's not sensationalized enough. You have to have well, that it doesn't, it doesn't get you to click. Correct. Now, I do love, I think it was PBS that did a, a, a basically a PSA for clickbait for Facebook specifically. <sighs> they did a, a, a just an amazing title. I, yeah, I forget what it was. This. Um, but it was just an amazing title. And the entire document was, this is a document about how people don't read the document. Oh yeah. Oh man. That's so meta. Oh, it was, it was amazing. It It was great. And it's like, if if you, if you have, if you, or you see this on someone's page, know that this should never be shared. Do not share this article. Like that's the entire point. Don't share it because you want people to see it. Share it. If you don't read this, if you are not reading this, right. If you ignore the content. Just you look at the title and go, oh, my God, I need to share this. You're an idiot. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, and but that's. I don't think social media social media has in fact made this worse because no, it's even with benign there. even with benign things like oh, yeah. I follow car pages and it's like oh the headline says one thing and you read into it, it's like okay well there's a little more to it than that and you'll see dozens of comments like well I guess GM just doesn't care about selling cars and it's like you mm-hmm. literally read the headline and just commented yep like that's and these people have jobs these people yeah. and these people may can have vote. high up like they may have management skills they, they may <gasps> make decisions that hurts my brain i know it's unfortunate but that's just it like we we as a species i don't feel really want to consume more than we have to probably we, not. we want the bite-sized pieces we want the sensationalized headline well we have so much more and i'll use the term a little loosely information coming at us oh absolutely right is like way too much with with the advent of really um, televised media, I would argue, and potentially even before that with the radio. So with radio, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at least, f- you're, at least you have one channel that you're dealing with at the most time, like, right? And there and were there were far one. fewer yeah avenues for information back then. I mean, w- yes, I agree. I feel like we have to be careful getting to this because then we're talking about the democratization of media, which would be a great topic. Sure, <laughs> but go ahead. Um, but it's you know now we have so much coming at us throughout the day. That we have to, in order to just function, we have to be able to quickly analyze and sort into a bucket. Sure. But I feel like if, if you're not going to take the time to legitimately find out about information, keeping that little tidbit of information is probably worthless to you and probably harms others. Uh, but that doesn't cross our mind. No. Right. That doesn't cross our mind. And it's I, I would argue that it's not necessarily actively harmful as long as you have the right attitude about it. Being able to admit that... I've met my mother online. Oh, boy. I love her to death. She reads stuff, and she forwards it. She oh, doesn't care. No, I have I have relatives, too, that make my blood boil enough with the crap that they post, and they take their news from memes. The same generation, mind you, that said, don't believe everything you see on the internet. Yep. It's by and large. They, they stopped following that rule years ago, and I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Facebook. It's a cancer. It's something. Um, I say that fully admitting that I have a Facebook and probably spend way too much time on it. Zuckerberg isn't human. I don't know what he is. He ain't human. <laughs> Fairly certain he's some sort of symbiote. Reptile. I don't know. I, I feel like rep like reptile is an option. However, I I really I'm leaning toward um, uh, automaton. You know, it's automaton. There is a bit of uncanny valley going. There's on. a lot of uncanny valley, especially I I absolutely love love his. Uh, uh, what was it sitting in front of the, the congressional, the congressional hearing? Oh my God. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so we're getting a tad off topic, but um, yeah. yeah, our taxpayer, our taxpayer money paid for that entertainment. Thank you. That's true. Money well spent. <laughs> Thank you very much for that roundabout segue. Um, yeah. It's the, the language we use behind it and really the, not even necessarily language, but the attitude that we have behind how we talk about economics, which this just melds into politics in general, economics is the lifeblood of effectively civilization. Yeah. I mean, well, to have a functional civilization, civilization, you have to have economics. Right. Right. Well, and you're going to have it regardless. Like mm-hmm. it will naturally occur. Oh, absolutely. It's literally just the exchange of something of value for something of value, of value, of value. Or, or a service of value between two parties. Right. That's all there's to it. And that's why, I th- and this is where I start to I don't want to say divulge a little bit, or, or this is kind of where I start to drift off, is that you know we have all of these moral 
prescriptions towards spending. Oh, we shouldn't spend on welfare. We should spend on welfare. We shouldn't spend on this. We should spend on that. It's like if you're not enriching people, literally, I don't mean enriching in a lavish way, but if you're not, if people don't have money, they can't participate in the economy. And if they can't participate in the economy, that means that somewhere else, somebody is losing out because it is a give and take literally. Yeah. Well, it's a give and pay, I guess, but something it, 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 that's how, that's how it works. There has to be movement. And that's why we call these stimulus packages. Oh, we got to jump start. We got to jump start the economy. Yeah. It's like an AED. If you're having a heart attack, your heart's freaking out. Your blood's not pumping. Right. So you got to do something to shock it back into working correctly. Again, I'm off topic here, but well, it's kind of a ubiquitous topic to stay on to. And I think that's, that's true. Kind of a thing is we don't have an answer to this because we don't, I mean, we, I don't fully understand the whole debt thing that I, I understand concepts of it. I understand the general gist of it, but at any point it's oversimplification. And the best I can do is go, okay, it exists. Right. Neat. Well, and we're going, we're going back to the idea of, of binning things, um, analyzing, reducing where we need to, in order to just make sense of it in our brains, whether or not that's accurate reduction, yeah. that's, that's another question to have. And I think ultimately the, one of the biggest assets that we can have around this is just the the accepting that we don't know something right because when you know when you start to reduce things that's not a problem in and of itself that's Some, something that's, has to go that's away. a survival mechanism yeah. but when you start to reduce things and act like it's the whole picture that's where problems come in and that's where falsehoods and um misinformation can really creep in and cause cause havoc we've seen that throughout the pandemic we continue to see that the way that our um, legislative bodies argue over these budgets Uh, the 3.5 trillion dollar budget is coming up for a vote here stimulus package yeah yeah and there's there's a difference well yeah i think well granted if you're listening to this not in september of 2021 so um, definitely not. By the time you're hearing this, either the government will have shut down and reopen or will still be shut down or will have not had a shutdown. Yay. You bit ambigu- ambiguity. Right. And there's a whole ton to be talked about the people who actually suffer when a government shutdown happens. Different podcasts potentially. Absolutely. But this it's it's yet another fickle layer to this conversation. Um and ultimately I think we have to be able to live with the unknowns if we're going to make any th- movement forward. That's a big ask. Oh, it's horribly difficult. <laughs> I don't do a good job. Well, I think, I don't know if this will ever be resolved in a way that budgetary topics become less of a hot button because both sides of the aisle do it. You know, oh yeah, they, they constantly bring it up. That's the point, right? Well, they can always make the other person look bad by looking at their budgets. Oh right. yeah. Well, on the right, you have oh well, you know, we're wasteful spending with all these social welfare programs. On the left, it's oh we need to, you GE or GE, yeah, GE didn't pay any, you know, income tax last year. Oh. You, you know, yeah, any number of these corporate welfare, um, right. The military industrial complex is another big one, which I tend to agree needs to be heavily looked at. Well, they all do. That's the thing is we have to right. trust that someone is going to review and audit these programs. 
And if not, then what's the point of believing in our government? That is a <laughs> that's a good turn. Deep like conversation that, <laughs> that we should have an an extra episode on for sure. Uh, man, yeah. It's, Sorry, I don't like authority, and I don't trust authority, but I have to. Otherwise, the entire system falls apart. Right. <laughs> See, but oh yeah, we're get we're yeah, way in the weeds. I mean, here. you're you you've also season. hit on another another thing of like you know living not just living with the unknowns, but living in the tension. Absolutely. Um, we we love to boil things down and reduce them to black and white, where you just kind of can't. And if you, unless we learn as a society, as individuals to live within the tension of not knowing and live within the tension of not having a perfect answer, our conversations are going to go nowhere. Um, Certainly within this realm of economics, because it is so horridly complex. You know, how many different schools of modern economics are there out there? Three or four or five, maybe a lot. And then subdivisions and nuanced views within those. And each one of them, I'm sure, has a good portion of the picture, but nothing has had the complete picture. If they did, if anybody has a complete picture, it you know there wouldn't have that would be well either that or there's like an actual Illuminati. I don't think there is. I was going to say either someone's actually controlling it. Yeah, which I don't think there is. I think I think it's. I think the other part is that it has grown so far beyond the control of any even nation. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like this is, this is a side effect of globalism. Honestly, I'm a fan of globalism, um, but it's the end times. It's Sorry. gone. Okay. David Jeremiah. Um, it's gotten so big that you're, not, and I say it, I mean, basically the global economy, global exchange, debt markets, all this stuff has gotten so big that it's not really that wrangleable. Well, it's its own entity now. Yeah. yeah. And one thing I was reading, I think it was from the Cato Institute, which is more center right, an article, and the author made an interesting point I don't know if he was aware of, in that uh, he he was taking a more critical look at how much the debt has inflated, blah, 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 and compared it to the Seattle, the the, uh, the Pacific Rim earthquake, you know, the, the big one that's supposed to hit the I-5 corridor. Mm-hmm. And... My view was quoting him. He basically said, oh, you know, Seattle lies on this fault line and, you know, earthquake hasn't struck for a hundred years, but it doesn't mean it can't happen. It's like, well, yeah, we know that it, and he equated that to the debt. It's like, now all the stuff I'm talking about that may happen has never happened before, but it could. Yeah. It's like, you're not Mm -hmm. doing anything there. Like, yes, we're aware that Seattle might break off and fall into the ocean. We're aware that America might, default on its debts but we don't know when we can't really predict when no. we can kind of we make kind of preparations and for make it preparations we could say that. well and we eh, in the geological perspective yeah that seismic activity expected to happen every three hundred and twenty thousand years it's been three hundred and twenty one thousand years it's going to happen tomorrow it's like, right probably not no but but definitely not, you not know, previously. Yeah, it's not the way that probability works. Yeah. And it's <laughs> and even if we could say for sure when the US would default on its debts, we don't know what would happen after. No. We don't know what that means. Exactly. We don't even know if we don't. I mean this there is could be there Again. could be a giant global reset to like, well, I guess you're start at zero. Do anything? There could be massive global conflict. Oh, absolutely. Or there could be nothing at all. Right. See, that's the problem is that 
all of those are equally possible, but they a lot of times people will be like, oh, well, Greece defaults on its debt. Greece is a tiny nation in the corner of the European Union that doesn't even have a central bank. Right. There now, are, there's a lot of there degrees was, of separation between us and Greece. Right, and there was some economic ripples that happened sure. when Greece defaulted, but... Well, anytime there's a shift, uh-huh. it's going to cause ripples. Right. Good or bad, I mean... But could there be a point where an economy is too big to fail. I think yes. In that it's so connected and it is so central to the idea of the global economy that it just, that it just won't fail. Well, that actually brings up an interesting point. And it's, it's again, we go back to this over, oversimplification that your home budget is probably not exactly equivalent. However, a fun story was told to me by a banker when I was eh, I in college. Bankers told fun stories. I know. That's what I said too. I was... A captive audience. It Live on regret out. and but lose. He had given out, he had been in the business, he'd been in the banking industry for 50, 60 years, like long time. He was about oh. to retire. He didn't care. <laughs> but, but he has seen everything. Mind you, this is like back in the 90s. So this would have been like he started in the 30s, 40s, something like that. He's seen some stuff. Yeah. Right? And he was a loan manager for a long period of time. And he told me an interesting story about how farmers specifically, they take out these astronomical loans to purchase their hardware, their their combines and their tractors, because these things cost a lot of money. They can cost mm-hmm. up to a million, if not nuts. more. Like, it's kind of nuts. I didn't realize that was a thing until I started looking at mm-hmm. my own finances for my parents. Um, but they take out these loans for like three, four, five, ten, fifteen million dollars, and then the next year they have a bad year. Well, they come back to the bank and say, hey, I need to, to do repairs. I need to buy seed. I need to buy fertilizer. I need to buy sprays. And it's another $1.4 million. And the answer isn't no, you have no collateral or no, you can't do that because, you know, we don't see you paying us back. It's we've already invested in you. We have to give you this money. Right. And I I, I think it speaks to that whole like too big to fail kind of scenario where the banks are more than happy to continue lending because if they don't, they guarantee a loss. Right. Yeah. And I feel like our economics are something like that. Well, and that's where it becomes different. And and we can even kind of shrink this relating the economics of a household to the economics of a business. Mm -hmm. I remember one of my friends who was a finance and economics major a couple of years ago talking about how um, how there's unprecedented or historic levels of corporate debt. And this is before I really could, was cognizing these ideas of debt. And I'm like, that's bad. I'm like, all these corporations are going to default, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, no, because they're taking on this debt to do R and D or to increase production right. or they're using it as leverage. They're not using it as, because you know, the it's regular debt as personal debt, right? The regular average American sees debt as I need to borrow money to pay for my car. If I don't make the payment, they take my car. Yep. Same with the house, whatever with the credit card. And we see debt as something to be avoided. And if you listen to uh, his name, Dave Ramsey, Dave Ramsey, you'll think debt is just the worst thing in the world. And in a lot of cases, yeah, avoiding debt is a good idea. But when you're talking about Apple well, or any Berkshire really. Hathaway, any, any even a small company. Yeah, even us, like my own stuff. Debt can be useful. useful because you can magnify your returns with it. That is not how regular people interact with debt. So they have a distasteful concept of debt. America, it's the same way. If we didn't issue bonds to ourselves, we wouldn't have money to spend in 
you know, in, in anything, in infrastructure, you know, right. or in uh, Medicare, whatever. Social programs. Exactly. Wouldn't have money to spend if we didn't have money, period. Yep. We got to get that money from somewhere. And since we supply our own money, we get the money from ourselves to pay ourselves and they have to pay ourselves back. Yep. And that's where it gets complicated because it's a bunch of recursive circles. But if you take the idea of debt as being an obligation you owe to a separate entity and think of it as a way to balance numbers, basically, it starts to be less of a boogeyman. Absolutely. So this feels like a pretty good kind of stopping point. Any, Oof. <laughs> I mean, we're not, <laughs> sorry, I'll get is, off my soapbox. <laughs> no, you're good. You're, this is one of those topics, you know, we're not going to solve it in an hour. When we, we solve topics? No, no, dear God, no. <laughs> We're going to need uh, more scotch to do that. Yeah, and other things. Um, <laughs> That's the other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this this kind of just illustrates the point. Like, even this last little section is we were talking less about the language we use around right. economics and stuff and more about some stuff that's kind of been currently happening or happening over the last century. You know, there's, there's still a lot of opaqueness. So... You know, it's, it's hard, but part of it is going out and researching and part of it is for me just accept and admit when you don't know something. Because assuming that you do or assuming that your reduction is accurate to the whole picture can be the harm. Sure. I'll give you that. Yeah. Any yeah. other thoughts? None of us are professional economists. We are nope. not financial advisors. Nope. <laughs> We're just three guys in a room with a podcast. Yeah. A scotch. We we have an idea generally of what we're talking about. Have, have you heard our old stuff? I don't think we do. We're exploring exploration. Let's just call it that. We'll call it exploration. Sounds good. Well, thank you all for listening. <laughs> this has been a fantastic episode, at least for us. Smash that like. Comment, subscribe, do what you do for all those fun places. And remember to drink and listen responsibly. 